Hello, and welcome to the Pretty Pixels podcast. I am one of your hosts, Joey. And I'm your host, Tab. So today we're going to be talking about Persona 5 Strikers. That's going to be our kind of main course or main topic of discussion. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we're going to talk a little bit about some other games that we've been playing. But before we get to that, I want to just kind of cover any news of interest, um, in part because I literally just saw that Anthem 2.0 has been canceled. Yes. What are your thoughts about that? I think that it is interesting, but not entirely unexpected just because of the reception at the game's uh, launch and also the sort of lack of, or at least the apparent lack of follow through with post launch content. So I'm not, I'm not terribly surprised. Yeah, I like they definitely had a rough start. The game was not received well, mostly by, I would say, fans. The, The reviews were were mostly solid or good, um, maybe not to the, the heights that Bioware is used to. But mm-hmm. I, yeah, I had, I, you know, I had fun with the game. I played the story through. That's what I was interested in. I have to say I was a little bit disappointed by that. And maybe that's part of the, you know, response that, that they got for the game was a lot of people were expecting the kind of storytelling and character development that Bioware is famous for. And you right. didn't quite get that in the game. Um, but the the core gameplay mechanics I thought were a lot of fun. It was so much fun traversing the world, um, the flying and the combat. I think were fun. Um, it just wasn't quite the platform, the storytelling platform that I think a lot of people wanted it to be. Um, but you know, Bioware is not necessarily new to that. Like that is also a reception that they got for Mass Effect Andromeda. That had a, a pretty pretty lukewarm mm-hmm. response as well. Um, but I don't know. It, weirdly, I I'm having a hard time feeling too upset about this. I know people again are sort of mixed, but like it right. frees up development for another game. And I'm not normally that kind of person. I know that like gamers are very selfish people, so they always want developers to be working on the things that they want them to be working on. And they're like, stop yeah, working yeah. on that. <laughs> work on this. Normally, I'm not like that. I want developers to work on the things that they're passionate about because I feel like that normally results in a better game however having said that there's so much that i want bioware to do there's so many bioware games that i want them to be making and anthem unfortunately is at the bottom of that list like i want more mass effect i want i know they're working on a new dragon age game i want that um i want a new knights of the republic which i i know there are rumors and they probably won't be working on that but like i want a new jade dragon (laughs) yeah or jade empire jade dragon um so there's so much that i want Bioware to be doing um so this news is actually kind of welcome to me and I feel bad about that but <laughs> it's a bit of a relief yeah. yeah yeah so what what else is there anything um in the news that's interesting that you've you've seen lately yes um there's a report coming from Game Informer it was actually published yesterday it's titled new report paints a dark picture about dying light 2's development which is a game that we were actually talking about briefly yesterday when we were discussing uh games that we're looking forward to in in the the coming year and this report is actually referring to or this article is referring to a report that was published by the gamer i saw the game informer uh, article on that report first, but essentially it outlines how um, there are comments from 
10 current and former members of the studio, and they were discussing how management has taken uh, an abusive tone and how that's affected work on on the project. Um, And one of the examples that was given was that um, there was a a homophobic slur that was used when offering feedback. And apparently there's there's quite a few quite a few issues. Um, women are facing some not so great things. There's nepotism going on. Apparently there's like some marketing conflicts and the, the it sounds like the project is almost being like pulled apart because there are various parties that want to take it in in different directions. And that's that's really unfortunate. I enjoyed playing the first dying light and it was a, a fun game to to co-op and I was looking forward to Dying Light 2 but I don't know I I I hope that we see this project at some point. Yeah, Techland is one of those or Techland 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 is one of those development studios that I think is talked about in a, the same way that CD Project Red is where people seem to hold them in such high regard but in both cases their track record is pretty short. They're not I mean I'm not going to say they're not an established studio Right, right. But they don't have that many games under their belt. Um, Techland, I remember in the blog that I wrote about getting this podcast up and running, I talked a lot about the old oneup.com days. That's where I kind of fell in love with podcasting. But in terms of Techland, I remember reading articles about the original Dead Island, which is the game, their debut game, if I remember correctly. And that game was i remember reading previews of it on oneup.com and being so excited and the systems sounded so interesting and zombies were big at the time but they had this system where you could shoot the limbs of certain zombies and inflict certain kinds of damage (laughs) and you could see certain kinds of like damage on them and it was it's all sounded very cool and then you just never heard anything about it for like two or three years where people weren't even covering it like oh could it be canceled because people just didn't know anything about Techland. So it wasn't right, really that right. long ago that Techland was kind of a um an up and coming studio. So I, you know, I don't I just don't part of our discussion the other day between us was I was like I just don't know enough about them to be able to say that I have a lot of confidence in them, you know, delivering what they're promising. And now with these reports, it's even more like, all right, well, and what's unfortunate to me to, to go to like back out to the bigger picture is that why is this such a normal thing now? We're hearing this about so many yes. companies. Yes, it's become a very common narrative. And I, I don't have any doubts that there are that there have always been like horror stories in video game development. Um, but we're seeing more of that now. And I I do want to say, like, I appreciate these reports. Like we need to know what's happening within the industry and we need to know that it's not all just like, you know, forgive the pun, but fun and games, right? right? Like there are people who are involved with this work and they're not always treated the best. And we should be more transparent about that. And we should criticize that and expect better, you know? And I mean, look, look at this example, that this bad unethical behavior is affecting the development of a video game like there are effects there are consequences for this kind of thing yeah and every time a report like this comes out of course there are gamers who are angry and it's like they don't Mm -hmm. want to believe or they don't want there to be a focus on 
things like work culture because it seems like people are slandering the company that they love or the studio that they love. But we're talking about people. Right. Well, and the unfortunate thing is that then the the people who report on that are harassed. You know what I mean? Like Liana Rupert definitely knows her. Her, has had her her share of experience with harassment. Jason Schreier, he, he this mm-hmm. is his type of reporting. He's he's I, I don't know if I would call him like an expose reporter, but he does these kind of exposes on companies, and then he gets Almost like an investigative reporter. Yeah, an investigative reporter. Yeah, and then he gets hate and like harassment for it, and it's like, but the thing is, these types of work environments do not lead to good products. Like, if you want a yeah. good product, why do you not want that company? to be a place that people want to work at and stay at. Exactly. And the the gaming industry really has a problem with that. They they don't foster healthy I, and of course we're just talking about some of the biggest players like you mentioned Ubisoft and right. Rockstar and people like that. Um or companies like that, they don't foster at least by these reports a healthy sustainable work environment. Um, and I, I, I don't know. I, I want the industry to be better, essentially. I want I mm-hmm. want game developers to not get burnt out. You know, there's a there's a problem with with overturn and like people getting burnt out and leaving companies. And why can't we have both? Why can't we have companies that are fun and healthy and safe to work for and then also produce great games? You can have it both right. ways. And and the money is there. Right. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. And especially when these reports are done on some of the biggest studios and publishers, it's like these these studios are not hurting for money. Right. So like why, you know, it's you can do better. So I'm, I'm yeah, hoping that absolutely. the more that we read about this kind of stuff, the more things will change. But mm-hmm. um Okay, so I think that about covers the news and yeah, news I think of interest. so. I think so. So let's get to talking about Persona Five Strikers. So Persona yes. Five, we're both big Persona Five fans. We both played the mm-hmm. original Persona Five in 2017, um, around the time it released. It was released on your birthday, right? Yeah, yeah, April fourth. Lucky, <laughs> um, you share a birthday with Persona Five. So <laughs> Persona Five is one of my favorite games of all time. I think I can safely say um, we both played it around launch like I said I fell in love with it so much that I beat it three times so I know that there's a joke that no one's ever beaten Persona 5 like you play it for hours and no one's beaten it I beat it but you have the platinum right exactly (laughs) I wanted that platinum trophy so badly that I went and beat it three times because I kept messing things up and so I had to replay it Um, I I loved it so much that the following summer so I played it all summer 2017 and then the following summer I played Persona 4 Golden, which I was like, ah, I don't know if I'll love it as much as Persona 5. I didn't, but it was very close. I loved that game as well. I loved that so much that I beat it twice. And then I went on to play Persona 3. I've played all mm-hmm. the Persona dancing games. I just fell in love with the series because of Persona 5. So um, that's kind of what, where I was coming at, uh, coming at this game from. It was this, this place of like, I love these characters. I love this world. Um, but tell me about your experience starting the game. Like, how did how did you kind of feel going into it? Yeah. So in so let's go back just a little bit with Persona Five Strikers when it was first announced. I was like, ooh, because it you know it has Persona Five in the title, and I, I really enjoyed the playing that game. I initially was a little hesitant though. I wasn't sure 
if I would like strikers just because of the change in combat. And so it fell off my radar admittedly for, for a little bit of time, but as it got closer to launch and as you and I had more conversations, my, my hype rose for, for this game. So it feels very familiar, but in like all the good ways. It's it's comforting to go back to a world that you've like spent so much time in. You have the same characters, the, the style is the same, like everything about it just feels like you're returning home. And that's wonderful. Like hearing the music even just on like the start screen, I could feel myself getting excited. Yeah. And the nostalgia for Persona 5 was just like all flooding back. So that that has been really cool. Um, neither one of us have played too terribly far into the game. Yeah. I think I'm about four or five hours into the game. Same. But um, a couple of just like initial impressions. It does take a little while to get going. There's a lot of information that's sort of flooded at you. But the nice thing about that is you don't have to have played Persona 5 in order to understand Strikers. Obviously, it helps because there's some carryover with the characters and the narrative in the world. But there's enough of an introduction, especially through the eyes of a brand new character who, you know, that character is learning about who are these who are these other people and what is this world like? And so it's a nice way to kind of ease into the game. Um, maybe ease is a little too generous because there is a lot of information that's thrown at you. Right. But that information is there so you can pick it up and you can play it and not know much about the the previous the previous game. Yeah, you mentioned familiarity and this kind of flood of information, but that felt familiar to me because I remember starting <laughs> Persona 5 and feeling overwhelmed because when you first start going into those dungeons, they're like, here's how you do this and here's how you do this and here's how you do this. There are a lot of systems. And granted, so many prompts. Yeah, so many <laughs> prompts. And like, granted, they do stretch it out over a long time. And they don't do that here. They're more like, here's a bunch of stuff to remember. But yeah, that that feeling of, oh, man, I don't know if I can wrap my head around this um, is is pretty familiar. And I had a similar feeling when I started playing the game of like feeling like I'm revisiting a real place and real characters mm -hmm. because these characters, I ha weirdly enough, I had kind of a, an emotional response to it. Um, when I started playing, my my eyes welled up with tears like I got kind of misty-eyed yeah and I don't know what I don't know what it is like there are very few games that I've played and I play have played a lot of games I'm very old people I'm I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm 80 don't listen to that <laughs> <laughs> but oh, okay well I feel very old but I've played a lot of games and there are very few games in my history that evoke that kind of emotional response like chrono trigger mm -hmm. is one of them i mentioned it on episode zero it's my favorite game of all time i played it when i was like 15 years old so there's a lot of nostalgia and so occasionally when i revisit that game there will be a certain musical track or scene that will like get me and i'll kind of well up with tears a little bit but that's one of the very few games that that do that and there's no there's the nostalgia factor with persona 5 mm -hmm. We played that in 2017. That's less than four years ago. Like there, there yeah. shouldn't be that same kind of tie, but for some reason, well, to be fair, 2020 was like living a decade. That is so. true. Yeah, it's about the same. It's like a time warp. Yeah. So, so it's like, oh, I remember this game back in 2017. <laughs> um, so yeah. So maybe maybe that's part of it. But there's something. I just I love the world and the characters, and maybe it's that I spent so much time with Persona Five that. <laughs> I just have this such a, an emotional response to it that starting it up, like you said, there were all these like glowing memories and feelings. 
Um, but what did you think of the combat? So we mentioned the combat briefly and how we were both sort of like not really sure what to expect. How did that hit yeah. you? Yeah. So honestly, I feel like maybe perhaps neither one of us can say too much about the combat because again, the game throws a lot at you and it is a bit of a slow start. Yeah. So when the game first starts up, you do have like, I don't know, is it even 10 or 15 minutes of combat? Mm -hmm. And then it immediately shoves you like into the world and walking the streets and doing like an investigation and talking to characters and collecting equipment and stuff like that. Um, I have spent some time in the like prison area um, doing like reconnaissance and stuff like that. But so I have maybe a little bit more experience with the combat. It is more satisfying than I thought it was going to be because initially I was worried like, I don't know, this seems a little like it's very hack and slash, right? Mm -hmm. But you still have your personas and you still have various abilities and different moves. I do admittedly find myself in these early hours just mashing like square yeah, totally. all the time. <laughs> um, but you can even switch characters. And so there is some like flexibility in the combat. And overall, I'm I'm actually enjoying it. We, we, I, the mashing the square thing is so familiar <laughs> because the game, you know, you start out, it's like hit square. And so I'm like, all right, square, square, square. And I, I've played similar yep. games to this before. So I kind of know there's like basic combos that you kind of are your bread and butter. So I'm like square, 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 throw in a triangle occasionally. And then right. the game's like, oh, you can do this. And I'm like, oh, that's neat. And then it, you actually are supposed to do it and I'll execute it once. And then I'm like, all right, this feels overwhelming. And I go back to square, 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 triangle. Right, right. <laughs> um, but I, like you said, in the, I'm so, I was actually really surprised. I've played about four hours. And as you said, I think I've only spent about 15 or 20 minutes in combat, which is like, I, I've never, okay, so I've played games with Musu elements before, but I've, I've not played more than maybe like a demo disc of a Dynasty Warriors game or anything like mm -hmm. that. So I don't know if this is normal. Um, but I was expecting when I heard this, 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 game was announced like like you said i was very excited i was like persona 5 i'm gonna buy it no matter what yeah. but i was like you know what it's gonna be a bunch of like musu combat and like what i'm looking forward to is the in combat chatter like between these characters there'll be some okay. dialogue a little bit of story no this game is a story with occasional maybe maybe it'll change but there's so right. much story this yeah. really feels like a sequel or at least like a half sequel to persona it five definitely feels like a very natural sequel with the biggest change probably just being the combat yeah. <laughs> but that's okay i mean there's so much to love about the world and just like being on the train for the first time you you tweeted this but it was that moment where you're 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 joker and you're on the train with morgana um, and it's like coming home yeah. you know and you see lady on and ryuji and just like it's it's just a very happy, warm feeling. <laughs> yeah. And you can tell it's a different development team, but like there's enough yeah. crossover that, you know, well, I'm sure there are people from uh, P Studio at Atlas that are at least mm -hmm. serving in some kind of like advisory role or like giving, you know, yeah, character sure. templates or something like that. But, um, but you can tell that whoever's developing it or however much of Koei Tecmo versus atlas you know are involved that they understand what makes the persona game so special which is character and world mm -hmm. um the design stuff it doesn't quite feel as sharp and polished as a mainline persona game but again there's enough of it that's like the menu system 
Yeah. I remember you. It's gorgeous. Yeah. I, okay, I am a sucker for a beautiful menu mm-hmm. system. Like Ghost of Tsushima. Oh my God. Just, I could just live in that menu system. <laughs> <laughs> and with, with Persona 5, but also with Persona 5 Strikers, the style, I just, I adore it. Like it's, it's, it's well-defined and it's crisp and it's bold and everything is very nice and clean. I think there might be a little more like pop of color with, with Strikers menu system, mm-hmm. But I, I still like it. I, I think it's very it's very visually ple- uh, appealing. Yeah, the Persona games have had such a history with color. So I, I feel like each game has been themed around certain colors. So Persona 3 was like the blue mm-hmm. game. Persona 4 was right. like the, the yellow and green kind of game. And Persona 5 is like the red, red and black kind of game, I red would say. Red and black, right? yeah. Um, but with this one, the menu system and a lot of the design elements have these different covers kind of overlaid so you'll have like the red blue green on the menu have system. you um have you like purchased any items from uh sophia yet no i haven't wait till you see those menu systems <laughs> well so, so let's talk about sophia for a second so yeah um well actually let me go back i wanted to mention about the the system because it's the the menu system or the menus you know because they're so stylish and i remember one of the very first things that you said to me because you started playing persona 5 before i did and you mm-hmm. were like dude the menu system is like so pleasing and i was like the menu system like what that's kind of okay yeah and i played it and i'm like the way that it's like so dynamic as you're going through it and there's Mm -hmm. movement and there's little like sound clips and stuff like that I agree. It's just fun to go through stuff. I'm like, let me go check my settings again. In other games, I'm like, I, I don't care about the settings. Like, I, I just I put, I adjust them to whatever I want them to, and then I just forget about them. And in this one, I'm like, wait, what's my audio level? Hmm, do I want subtitles on? Yeah, it's... I haven't given this much thought, but it's almost as if the menu system itself is telling you a story. Like, yeah. there's, 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 there's narrative elements within the menu system, and it's just... It's an extension of the world. Yeah. So... Yeah, I I don't know that I've that I can think of a, another game that has quite the the level of detail as the the menu system in Persona Five and Persona Five Strikers. Yeah, you so you mentioned Sophia though, so let's talk about her because I, every new Persona game they always add this kind of new character, and it's interesting because it's always like a character that is very different and doesn't quite fit into the world. And so you get a lot of the characters, which is, of course, it's a narrative device. The characters have to explain stuff about themselves right. and the Phantom Thieves and stuff like that to um, to the new character to get them to understand, which, of course, it's onboarding a new player, too. Mm-hmm. But what do you think of Sophia? We've only played for four or five hours so far, but but you have any thoughts about her? Yeah, I really like her. I think it's hilarious that they found a way to bring like an AI character into it because it brings out like the other the other characters mm-hmm. and their like reactions to her and she's very sweet. Mm-hmm. But there's this moment and I don't want to spoil it if you haven't gotten to it yet, but there's this moment where she says something that's so like shocking and everyone's like, "Whoa, what the hell?" And it's coming from this sweet little AI. <laughs> it was so funny. Like she definitely bolsters the humorous elements yeah. of the game. I know what part you're talking about. So, it won't <laughs> be spoiling it for me, but but you're right for our listeners, we don't want to spoil it, but it is um it's hilarious. And she's like, where's the flaw in my logic? And you're like, yeah, well, I, I think I can explain it, but I'll, you know, I'll let the Phantom Thieves do it. But um, yeah, but yeah. And I feel like they're the and she's humanity's companion, right? Like that's her yes. her mission or her like label. Um, 
and I feel like going back again, the Persona series has a history of these types of characters like Teddy from Persona 4. Um, or sorry, no, yeah, yeah, per Persona 4. Persona 3 has an Igus character. These like robots or like AI who are trying to understand, or maybe not AI, but like um, these characters who are not necessarily human. Morgana is another one. Morgana is kind of this, this mm -hmm. you know, ma mascot kind of character. Uh, who who isn't human but has enough humanity or is learning enough humanity from the player characters um and, and their and your companions that it's there's there, it's commenting on something there and we don't have to dig into that i i, I don't know what is going to become of sophia but is is that um uh what what's the phrase uh is that sort of like in literature you have the foil so it's like a character that sort of brings out other qualities in the protagonist or like like enhances them in some way. I kind of feel like maybe that's what those characters are sort of doing. I I think I don't I don't maybe it's maybe they are a foil, but I think yeah. each character has has a specific foil each each player character. So in Persona 5, it's uh oh god, help me with the name. The main villain character oh god i'm like I played we're such fans hard hour. We're um <laughs> i keep wanting to say shinji it's definitely not that though um the young uh, akechi goro akechi yeah i didn't, okay, I didn't okay, look okay. it up i remembered it <laughs> i'm still a true fan no i didn't know if you meant um is it kanashiro no 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 um kamashita i think that's okay. who you're talking about right but but akechi akechi is i think akechi is joker's foil um and so I okay. think each like yeah, yeah. main character has a foil, like a specific foil, but there's got to be another literary term for it. But it's it is something similar where it's like this character helps the main character know the world or know themselves a little bit more. Um, but yeah, I think she's she's so cute, and there is that sort of naive innocence about her. Um, she's definitely kind of a mascot character. I love her design. Every time they introduce a new character, whether it was to like in Persona 4, the dancing game, they introduced a new character. And I was like, oh, man, I don't know about this. Um, and Persona 4 Golden had Marie, who that was sort of a new character. But every time it feels like they fit in the world. It's almost like the developers know what mm -hmm. they're doing. Um, <laughs> oh, wow. The skill, the talent. <laughs> um, I'm just so used to companies handing things off to another studio or something and then them just not knowing right. how to do it or mess it up. But yeah and the same level of quality right. but really this character there. seems to fit like you know she feels like she makes sense you know in this world which i really like mm -hmm. yeah absolutely definitely having yeah. fun with it i'm excited to uh delve into it a little bit more and see what happens with the story and also to see if the combat does become mm -hmm. more prevalent i feel yeah. like it must but it seems like they were just very conscious of getting everyone situated in the world first before they set you a little more a little yeah more absolutely free. i i like i said i in the first four hours it's maybe been 15 or 20 minutes of combat i'm expecting it to to change once you start getting into these dungeons um but i can't imagine it's going to change much because then you're going to come back out and you're going to have these investigative parts so i like that a lot i i feel like it's you know it's a really good balance of what i really want which is the story and the characters and something that seems yeah. perfectly fine from what I've played. The, the combat seems fun, fun enough. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll probably talk about it more next week because we haven't played that much of it. Um, 
But what mm -hmm. else have you been playing? I know we've both been kind of playing a mix of old and new games. Um, yeah. So I picked up uh, Hitman okay. 3. Um, that, when was that? That was just January. I can't remember. I think it was January 20th, I want to say. Um, and so the I didn't play the, the first Hitman of, of this okay. latest trilogy, uh, which came out in 2016, I believe. But I watched some streams and it seemed like a generally fun game. But for whatever reason, I don't really remember 2016 all that well. But for whatever reason, I didn't pick it up myself. And then Hitman 2 came out in 2018. Again, I saw some streamers playing it. And I was like, oh, that looks like a lot of fun. And so I did end up picking up Hitman 2. I didn't like beat the game, but I, you know, played around on the levels. And it was it was a fun experience. But that was when they, I think that's when they introduced the, the like episodic, episodic model. And not everyone was like a huge fan of that. But anywho, Hitman 3 is a blast. It's very well put together. I mean, it's classic, you know, a Agent 47. At the end of Hitman 2, Agent 47 and his handler, they were, um, they like defected from the ICA and they're now working to identify and eliminate various like partners and expose the, the organization. But what I love is that you can just hop in and out and you can like play whenever right so I feel like with some games and I know we've talked about this before but with some games I feel like I have to keep up with it and I have to play that game like somewhat right. consistently otherwise I'll forget the story or maybe I'll even forget like yeah. the controls if the controls are like you know different from like a normal control scheme but with this game it's just nice to be able to hop in and out and you can play the levels hmm. out of order Obviously, you might mess up your understanding of the narrative or you might spoil things for yourself. But I like that there's just so much flexibility with how you can approach the game. And then, of course, when you get into the specific le levels, they're so, like, beautifully designed. My favorite level, and not just in Hitman 3, but my favorite level, I think, in this this trilogy is the um, Thornbridge Manor, which is located in uh, Dartmoor, uh, England. It's so just like moody. The grounds are are old, but they look like something that would come straight out of like a Sherlock Holmes mystery or maybe like an Agatha Christie like story. Um, and the manor is occupied by this uh, Carlisle family. And they're they're like some interesting characters, but the manor itself is what I'm just like obsessed with. Like, it's just so detailed. There's like a cool library. And of course, there's like, there's a couple different levels. There's some bedrooms and an office, but um, outside there's like a cemetery and you have the grounds and these gardens and there's even a greenhouse. And it's all just like very pretty. And of course it affords you with so many opportunities <laughs> to kill people. And um, <laughs> as you play the game, um, the more you like unlock certain um, tools, which then of course increase your options. And so there's just so much replayability with these games. And I just feel like they're very well put together. Um, I know that Hitman 3 was uh, pretty... Uh, pretty well like critically received i think from like game informer ign and i want to say GameSpot, they gave it like nines out of tens and i think it was games radar that gave it like a 4.5 out of 5 so people really really like this game at least on the 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 critical end of things um definitely recommend i know that the hitman 3 wraps up the trilogy but of course they're not right. done with with the franchise so i am excited to see 
how they'll sort of like shake up the formula and what like the next few games um, are going to to look like. Because obviously they did try to mix it up with that episodic approach, which again had sort of mixed reception, mixed response. But um, I really like what they're doing with the levels and how just like big the levels are. And actually I say big, but just how dense the levels are, like what there is to do within each of those levels. I feel like Hitman 3 especially is just like a good example of like quality mm. level design um so yeah that's that's what i have to say yeah about i played the first two or three games in the series going all the way back to like gamecube playstation 2 era like the first one <laughs> first one i don't even think it was called just hitman i think it was like hitman codename 47 or something like that yeah and it was like silent like assassin or assassins i think silent assassin and then i remember what the third one was contracts or something i played those but i never played them to completion um they were fun and i loved that i mean at the time that was so new and exciting the idea that here's a big level now go you know what i mean you have an objective but right. like there are many different ways that you can accomplish that objective that was so exciting to me um and the first two games in this most recent trilogy I didn't hear much about like when they came out i feel like that episodic thing like you said shifted the conversation a little bit to like many episodic mm -hmm. things of like well we'll just wait until it's done we'll wait until it's all released but this third one i've been hearing tons of great stuff about it people seem to be really in love with it and that idea of a big mansion i love big mansions in video games like and we'll talk about this when we talk about games we're excited about with the Resident Evil Village. But like, right, I right. love big mansions. I love being able to explore them. And in this one, being able to interact with so much of it like that right there. There's there's like secret oh. rooms and passages and shit. Like it's, Desmond yeah, it's, <laughs> it's so cool. And I even just love the grounds, like the detail that they put into the environment yeah. too. Like, it's not like they just put everything into the house. Like the whole level is just amazing. Um, I really, really enjoyed that one. And I think it's a level that I'll probably play a couple of times through at least. The first time I played it, I stuck strictly to how the game encourages you to approach the level, which is you're getting at the house right as a private investigator is. And so you can totally bonk <laughs> that guy in the head, take his costume and play the role of the detective. Like, yes. <laughs> That's the people call it the knives out level. That's what I keep hearing it referred to. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Speaking of old games, though, or like, you know, mansions like Maniac Mansion is this old game that was out for the PC originally and then they ported it to the the original NES and I loved that game when I was a kid and it's one of those games where it's like why is there not like they should remake that and I know Lucas Games just just mm -hmm. came back so maybe maybe they will I kind of doubt it but yeah maybe. this idea that there's this big spooky mansion with like hidden rooms and secrets and stuff ah give me every game about that that's yes. why I loved um gone home so much it's like here's this big house go explore and there were hidden passages and everything yeah. there too um we will talk about that game at some point i'm sure but but oh, yeah, speaking definitely. of old games let's talk about what else we've been playing because i know we've both been revisiting older games like minecraft minecraft is something that is yes. i can't believe we're still playing it but like we started playing it originally in i think 2014 right I had played it a little bit on my own prior to that, but okay. us playing together, yeah, it would it would have been like fall of 14. Yeah, because we were playing it. We wanted to integrate it into 
a composition class that we were teaching. Mm -hmm. So originally I was using film. I was using horror film in my composition classes, but I wanted to find a way to like integrate video games because I thought there's just so much more potential there. And I feel like it's more relevant and current to our students in terms of what they're actively consuming. Um, and I mentioned it to you and you were like, hey, can I get in on that? And I was like, yeah, yeah great. Because I hadn't Sounds done anything Sounds like a great idea. Point. Let me just attach myself to yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, but I, I feel like we were in it together because I hadn't done anything. I just had like thought this will be a good idea. And so we started talking about like we wanted to use a video game. What, what texts would be good to both study, but also to maybe mm-hmm. facilitate composition and facilitate communication with our students. And Minecraft seemed like the clear winner at the time. Even though it's weird to say that even in 2014, it was already sort of old news. Like I brought it up to my students and they were like, I remember Minecraft. Like it was nostalgic for them. And many of them, (laughs) right. Yeah. They played it when they were younger and now they had like grown out of it. And that was seven years ago. So it's like, Mm -hmm. you know, even then it was dated, but it's still popular today. Like we. It makes millions, hundreds of millions every year. It made almost half a billion or maybe it did make half a billion. I I think it was. 400 million something like that something like that it's just wild how popular it still is um but we picked it up recently we were looking for a game that we could play with some other friends who we've been playing Mm -hmm. games with recently and we were like you know it was actually one of our other friends it was like i've been wanting to learn minecraft she had never played it and she was like would you be willing to like teach me and I was like, well, let me mention it to Tab. And you were like, I'm downloading as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> and so you got a Realm server for us. Yep. Um, and we've been playing for the past, how many, like three weeks? Three or four weeks? Yeah, something, so like, something that. like that. Um, and, and we're like in it. And I just, it's so amazing <laughs> to me that, again, 2021, 10 or 11 years after the game released officially. I know. And it's... we're already back in it. It's incredible. Like the first two weeks where we first started, mm-hmm. I like we started up the realm server and we were all playing together. And then like I went to bed that night dreaming of like breaking up blocks. <laughs> and I I'm like so jealous every morning because what? my dreams are all creepers. That's yeah. that's my <laughs> Minecraft dreams is fucking creepers blowing yeah. everything up i swear to god they sorry sorry to interrupt but that's just I'm... the most annoying uh we'll make a list someday but they're definitely on the most al- annoying list of like video game baddies yeah, absolutely but, but i would just wake up every morning and i would think of minecraft and like obviously i'm teaching right now and we're both phd candidates we got shit to do mm-hmm. but we were pretty obsessed for a little while and i feel like it's fallen off a little bit but I just today I was thinking about like, oh, what what is my goal for playing Minecraft uh, Thursday night? And I was like, oh, I know what I know what I'm going to be doing. Like, I just love how open the game is and you can create shit and build stuff. And like, it's very it's also can be like very calming <laughs> after oh, yeah. like a long day of teaching or conferences or whatever. Um I don't know. It's just it's one of those games that I feel like I'll probably end up returning to at various times in my life. Um, I feel the same way about like Stardew Valley. There are mm-hmm. a couple there's like a handful of games that are just like really easy to get back into. And there's always something that you can be doing. So I appreciate those experiences. It's so open that, like you said, everyone can have a different experience with it. You mm-hmm. and I, we both talked about liking to have projects 
Like mm-hmm. I want to build a this or I want to build a that or I want to make a road or something like that. Right. Um, but then, like you said, it can be meditative too. our friend Ron, who's on the server with us. He carved out this giant cavern and I was like, wow, that's so impressive. Like, you know, when you were doing it, like, were you thinking I'm going to make this? And he's like, no, I just, this is what I do. I just like digging. I right. like mining. <laughs> I like making caverns. And I'm like that, you know, it's so interesting how everyone has all these different approaches to it. Um, it's also interesting how easy it can be to get into. Mm-hmm. Um, so my, my partner wouldn't describe herself as a gamer, right. but she, loves Stardew Valley. That's probably her favorite video game. She also enjoys Animal Crossing New Horizons. And then she has gotten into Minecraft because when we hop on the server, we'll do um, the local, you know, split screen. And I don't know, it's just been really fun to get into something together like that. And of course, there are moments where, you know, maybe she'll panic because there's <laughs> there's there's a creeper or a skeleton, you know. <laughs> but there's so much, there's so many times when it's just like chill. And like lately, she's been going out into the woods around like our sort of our village or hub area. And she's just been making all these cute, adorable little cabins. And like, yeah. that's her thing. And that's what she's doing. And like, you can do that. There's no like pressure to have to be doing something specific. Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah it's really cool. I, I love that you can have a project that's your own, but it also sort of contributes to yeah. the community because one of the things we've talked about, we haven't really explored all that much of the surrounding areas, but when we do, sometimes we get lost and, and having oh, yeah. these like little houses, these like little safe houses that are really well lit and have paths. You say sometimes we get lost. We get, yeah. <laughs> we get, we've gotten lost quite a few times. Yeah. But. So one of the things I was really surprised at was how how much hasn't changed. A lot has changed. Like we keep discovering stuff. We're like, oh, there's this now, there's that now. But mm-hmm. when we were going to get back into it, and, and in the past, I mean, you've mentioned several times like, hey, have you ever thought about getting back to Minecraft? And I'm always like, eh, I don't know. Because one of the things I was worried about was that we were going to drop into the world and it was going to be dramatically different it was going to be like welcome to minecraft here's you can do this and here you can do that one of the things that was so attractive about the original game to me was that it was so open it just dropped you into the world and it was like all right figure it out you know yeah and the original original game didn't even tell you any crafting recipes it was literally just like you have to figure all this out they they do now help you out with that a little bit which i think is good but they still don't give you much direction they're not like here's how to build stuff here's how to get to the nether here's there's not really much in the way of like goals which sets the game apart definitely we talk with our students a lot about that but i was worried that there was going to be more of that going into this this replay because i know they've updated it a bunch of times um, and there wasn't it dropped us into the world and the same thing it was like all right now Mm -hmm. go do what you want and we all did and that's great and honestly that is the beauty of Mm -hmm. it that it doesn't direct you you make whatever you want of that experience um and i feel like there probably will never be another minecraft you know what i mean and i don't mean that there won't be a minecraft too but i just mean like the experience of that and just the openness of that um and even just like the what it did for gaming culture like minecraft is a a a word that you could say to practically anyone and they would have an understanding of what that is. Absolutely. You know, um, it's similar. It sort of reminds me about Fortnite and how that blew up and people would be making jokes like, hey, my grandmother knows what Fortnite is. Mm-hmm. Like we have these sort of 
moments in time in gaming history where there are these games that reach such a height and become more, I guess, socially relevant or they tap into the, the like broader culture beyond just like gamers. Um, and that's a special thing, you know, and sometimes yeah. that lasts like a decade and sometimes it, it fades away, you know, more quickly. But I don't know. I just think that Minecraft is like a special text. And I think um, just with our experience playing it, but also of using it in the classroom, it's always going to hold just just like a special little place in my heart. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I definitely think that there's a there's always a backlash when a game breaches that membrane that's not i don't want to use it that sounds like an icky physical thing but like (laughs) when a game breaches that barrier of gamers know what it is and then now the public the vast you know Mm non-gaming public knows what it is there's suddenly a backlash of like i think gamers feel ownership over it now they're losing that control so then then it becomes a joke like oh everyone plays minecraft everyone plays fortnite that kind of thing um fortnite is interesting because now I'm tempted to go back into that. And that's another <laughs> game that you, uh, you know, over the last couple of years have been like, have you thought about going back to it? And our friend Ron, to go back to him, he's mentioned mm-hmm. it too. Like he stayed playing it for quite a while and he would be like, are you going to play it again? Are you going to play it again? And I was always like, I don't know, because that game gave me such anxiety. It was, it was, it, we played it at a time where my anxiety was becoming more and more apparent. Mm-hmm. And so I couldn't, I couldn't untangle those two things. When we would play it, sometimes I would not be anxious and I'd have a great time. And sometimes right. if my anxiety was elevated, I would be sweating. I would feel kind of sick. And I was like, I don't know what's going on. It felt, I don't know, to this day, I don't really know how to explain it, but um, it started making me feel just not physically great. And so I think that was part of the reason I got off of it, but I've managed my anxiety so much better now. And I keep buying these damned skins and I don't play the game. They came out with the the Batman, like the Dark Knight pack. And I was like, oh, I got to go buy the Dark Knight skins. I'm such a huge Batman fan. So I go out and buy them and I'm like, wow, they look cool. And then I delete the game because I'm not going to play it. And right. then the Star Wars skins came out and I was like, no way. Mm-hmm. They got, st- they have Ray. Ray is like one of my all time favorite Star Wars characters. You... I think that's the last skin I purchased. <laughs> yeah, I bought, well, I bought Ray. Didn't you buy, you bought me, was it Kylo? I think you yeah, bought me Kylo. Yeah, I, I don't remember what it was, but. But yeah, I think I have like Ray, Kylo. I think I have the Red Trooper. Like I have all these Star Wars skins. And I'm like, oh man, wouldn't it be great to play with these? And then I didn't. <laughs> and now they came out with Chun-Li and, and Ryu or Ryu from Street Fighter. And I Ch- Chun-Li is one of my favorite all-time characters. So I'm like, oh, I got to buy that. And I'm you like, gotta I got to play. I, gotta, I, gotta play. <laughs> I, I have all these skins. I really wish they would add bots though. That's the thing I keep waiting yeah. for them to add because I, want, I don't want to play with 100 strangers. I don't mind playing with some, but... I would love to be able to play on a server with just like us and a few friends and a bunch of bots. Um, That would be a lot of fun. But they keep saying, oh, we're thinking about it. We're thinking about it. And it's like they want you to play with people. Yeah. Um, So so that's one that I've been thinking about getting into. But what I've really been into, as I mentioned in episode zero, is Resident Evil. Like I am so excited for Resident Evil Village. And like I said, I'm sure that's going to come up time and time again until May. But I have been when I when I saw that latest trailer that everyone was talking about because of Lady Lady D Lady Dimitrescu, <laughs> um, my love, that 
sort of made me want to go back and play Resident Evil 7 because I didn't get the trophy in that game, the, the platinum trophy. And I'm not like a trophy hunter, but with games that I love, that's always an incentive for me to revisit them. And so I was like, you know, I didn't get the platinum trophy for that. What if I go back and did that? So I went back and played that. I beat it twice. And then playing that made me feel like, oh, well, what about these older Resident Evil games that I haven't played? I've played almost every mainline game, but I didn't, I don't remember Code Veronica. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to go back and play Resident Evil Code Veronica because I haven't played it since it released. I don't really remember it. I played that. Didn't have a great time. Definitely one of the weakest in the series for Mm -hmm. several reasons. (laughs) And so I was like, "Ah, now I want to play a good Resident Evil game. So I was like, you know what? I haven't played since it came out also is Resident Evil 4. I played it on the GameCube. I played it on the Wii. But it's one of the best in the in the series. I think it's a that's a pretty widely held opinion, and I happen to agree with it. So I'm like, let me go back and revisit that. And you were like, can I watch you? You watched me play a little bit yeah. of Code Veronica, mm-hmm. um, but you watched me play more Resident Evil Four, I think. And so I beat that, and I was like, you know, now I feel like I have to play Resident Evil Zero because that's the only main game mainline game I haven't played. So I played through that. It was very short. You watched me play some of that as well. Yeah, it was um, fun. Yeah, and it was just fun revisiting these games. I, I do love the series, but I don't always feel like I have the... Mo- I don't know how to say motive, but like I often feel compelled to play new games that are just released or recently right. released because new games are always being released and I feel like I can never quite keep up. So I'm always playing like newer games and it was only recently that I felt like I could actually just go back and relax and play old games. Um, and, and Resident Evil Code Veronica since, or not Code Veronica, sorry, Resident Evil Zero, since that's the only game I haven't played, I just briefly want to say, as I hinted at before, like it's such a gorgeous game. Like it's so beautiful that I, I, I'm, I can't believe that it came out around the same time as Code Veronica. I know it's two different graphical styles. Resident Evil Zero has the pre-rendered backgrounds of the older games. And so Resident Evil Zero, I think, represents the peak of, in terms of graphics, the peak of that original Resident Evil trilogy type, you know, you know, like I said, the static backgrounds, the um, fixed cameras and stuff like that. And then it was Code Veronica that started changing that, where it was using sort of a mix of the pre-rendered backgrounds and 3D environments. And then, of course, Resident Evil 4 brought it fully into to 3D. So it makes sense that it, that it looks so good. But I just, I couldn't believe how good it, it looked. It was pretty. Yeah, a game that came out in 2002. I, like, was, I was impressed. Yeah. Um, but we talked a little bit about the experience of you watching me play and mm-hmm. so that brought up a really interesting question about something that we've talked about before. Like, what does it mean to watch someone play a game? So one, of, I, I've talked to my students about this because I taught. You know, we we don't quite teach. We don't use Minecraft in the classroom anymore, but we still use right. video games. I structure my course like a video game. I use video games as examples of rhetoric and visual rhetoric and things like that. Um, but when I talk to my students about games, we'll we'll bring a game up and someone will will start talking about it with some kind of authority. And I'm like, oh, that's great. And we'll I'll jump in and they're they sort of quickly retreat and say, oh, well, well I didn't play it. I only watched someone play it. But right, like we've right. talked about streaming has really changed the way that we consume games. Oh, right. Yes. And you're I mean, you're you watch streams more than I do. Um, but I think you have an interesting perspective on that. Right. Because you have been sort of like 
not inundated, but really sort of ingrained and like in that culture for a while. How do you yeah. feel streaming changes the way that we view gamers or gaming? I think on one level it so so <laughs> what is playing a video game? Right? It's a consumption of a product. It is the reading of a text and its interaction with that text, right? Right. Um, I think many people would agree with that. Now we could get even more defined <laughs> with with what it means to actually play a video game. <clears throat> but it's consumption. Mm -hmm. And as for as long as there have been video games, there have been people who watched others play video games, whether that was going to the arcade and standing next to your buddy and waiting for your turn right. or sitting down on the couch next to your, your friend or your, your partner or whatever. And, and maybe you would pass the controller back and forth, or maybe you were just interested in watching that video game being played. Right. So streaming is very much in that same vein. But of course, it, it confounds people because there are so many people who are like, but why, right. you know? And when, when I first started looking into Twitch as an area for academic study, and that's, that's what my dissertation is all about, it's, it's looking at, um, it's not so much at looking at people looking at video games on Twitch, but it's concerned with, with that space. But I would, I would constantly receive the question of, but why would anyone watch a game being played? Yeah. Like there was this lack of understanding and I still get that question a lot. But I think that question sort of um, presumes first and foremost that playing games is a waste. Mm -hmm. And there are a lot of people who still think that way when it comes to video games, that video games, if, if they're benefiting anyone, and I'll put that word benefit in quotes, uh, if it's benefiting anyone, it's only benefiting the active player, right? right. But when you watch someone play a video game, you're still taking in the narrative, mm -hmm. right? Um, you're still taking some experience away from that. And to, to bring it back to your discussion of Resident Evil, I have only ever played uh, Resident Evil 7, and it was a partial experience. Those, the <laughs> franchise is too scary for me. But I would never touch those games on my own time. Right. But... I'm still interested in them. I, one of my favorite genres of both film and games is the horror genre. I'm just too much of a chicken shit to actually <laughs> play most of them, and they sometimes give me anxiety. Um, so I am able to watch you play and still get the experience of what it means to succeed in a Resident Evil game and even to fail in a Resident Evil game and having to do something multiple times and picking your, your supplies and your save points and stuff like that. I'm just missing out on the the tactile part of that experience, the, the the more active part of that experience. But I still got to experience those games. And I wouldn't have done that unless I had turned to you and said, hey, can I watch you play these games? Or maybe I would take the time to go and, and look yeah. up a Let's Play or look up a stream on, on Twitch, right? But also watching games mm -hmm. is a social thing. Um, especially if you consider Twitch, there's a sense of community. So there are so many people who turn to Twitch not because they want to watch the most recent hyped up game, but because they want to share a community of gamers, right? They, they want to tune in and have fellow viewers recognize them like, oh, 
you know, random box. You, you're, I, mm-hmm. I, I saw you last stream. How's it going? You know, interacting with the sort of micro celebrity that is the streamer. Uh, maybe you're, you're, you become a mod because you're such a, a solid, like, stand-up member of the community. Like, there's that social dynamic and that participatory din- dynamic that is definitely present there. So, again, I think that question of, but why would anyone watch a game being played it really is devaluing what video games are, which is that they are textual artifacts. And it also devalues the experiences that are surrounding games and that make up games. Absolutely. Culture. And I, 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 I've never really, I like to think that I've never really been judgmental about like, why would people watch someone play a game? <laughs> but when we first started right. working together on the class, you brought up streaming and you asked like, do you, do you visit Twitch? Is that like, you know, and I was like, not nah, really. I've like, I've heard of it. I've like, you know, I have a, an, an account, but I don't really do anything with it um, because my thought wasn't like, why would people do this? But it was like, I know I wouldn't do that. You know, like I only have so much free time. Right. I'm going to spend as much of my free time playing an actual game than maybe watching someone else. Mm-hmm. But well, we talk a lot about accessibility and streaming yes. or like being able to be having the ability to watch people stream games brings games to a much broader audience because there are people that can't afford to buy every new $60 game. I mean, yeah. I, sorry, go ahead. There, uh, there, there are so many reasons why people turn to Twitch or they turn to let's plays on YouTube mm-hmm. or whatever platform, right? It could be that they don't have the money to buy every single new right. hot release right um or you know there are gamers who they only buy like maybe two three just a handful of games a year and that is mm-hmm. what they do all year is they play those video games but streaming also gives you the opportunity to sort of test the waters a little bit and maybe have like a sneak peek into a game not really a sneak peek but a look ahead for like okay is this actually a game that I want to spend $60 yeah. on? And if I'm on the fence, you know what? Maybe I'd be fine just watching someone else play it. Yeah, and there's been controversy around that. I mean, talking about Persona 5, when Persona 5 came out, Atlas locked down most of the game for streaming. They said, here, yep. you can play the the opening part of it. But for the most part, we don't want people streaming the game because we don't want to ruin the narrative. It's a very narrative-heavy game. That's a huge component of the game. So... Mm-hmm. I, I, I stood up, I stood like, you know, basically kind of stood up for them at the time and said, I, I understand. Maybe I don't support, but I understand their reasoning. But it was controversial yeah. because of what you're saying, which is that streaming oftentimes is what draws people to a game. People that would never have played mm-hmm. Persona 5 might watch someone play it, and sure, they'll have some of the story ruined for them. But at some point, they're going to they're going to get hooked and they're going to realize, I don't want to watch the rest of this. I want to play it. So they'll give up on that was my exact experience with Persona 5. I had no idea what Persona was. I was aware of some hype through some people that I watch on Twitch. I saw someone play it and I was like, damn, I want to play this game. And I went out and I bought it like (laughs) there's so many people who buy games because they see them on Twitch. Right. I mean, that's a perfect example, because I remember telling you that I was excited for it, but you had no visual context for it. You know what I mean? I could say how much I was excited for it, all I want and talk about, you know, JRPGs and stuff. But -hmm. there's nothing really to showcase what that game is or means. But when you watch someone play it and I want to bring it back to that, because I think. 
watching a playthrough of a game is different than watching someone play it because I think there's a lot of judge like judgment that goes into people thinking oh well if you're a, if you just watch people play games you're not really a gamer and we'll talk about that more in a second because I I think that's something yeah. that's that's a discussion that needs to be had but I think sure if you just passively watch a silent playthrough where someone's not really it's it's they've played this game a bunch of times they know all of the moves to make they know all the puzzle solutions so they're just running through the game very quickly and you're just basically watching this video of this playthrough for the story that's very different that's watching it as a very sort of passive visual thing but when you watch a streamer on twitch or on youtube or whatever platform and they're playing it and you're getting their experience and they're vocalizing their frustrations and they're solving puzzles aloud and maybe the the audience you know the the chat is interacting with them and kind of helping them out or maybe not because backseat gaming is not great but if it's invited then it's fine um but you are witnessing the act of playing the game you're witnessing all of those frustrations and um the kind of like exploration and puzzle solving and you know getting like overcoming all of these these obstacles to complete the game and so i feel like that's so much more akin to the actual playing of the game than people think when people think of oh you just watch people play games that's again i feel like that's very different than watching someone stream a game watching someone play a game for the first time and go through the same struggles that you might go through now of course there is a, a difference and i do think that that's fair you know something that we we need to say is that there is a difference between playing a game and watching a streamer so for our like purposes yeah as scholars like for me i I, in my dissertation i'm gonna have a whole section talking about the importance of actually playing these games that i'm studying because Mm -hmm. being the one to have to problem solve and to come up with a solution and to run up to those barriers i think is important for studying a game or maybe reviewing it or analyzing it but just to be a consumer like you said these are texts to be consumed why do we have to gatekeep the term gamer so much? It's such a big point well, of frustration for me. Yeah, and like let's let's okay, I know this is a little different, so maybe it's an apples and oranges thing, but if someone walks up to you like and let's say they're your friend and they're like, "Man, I am so into like movies. I I just love films." And maybe you ask them like, "Oh, like what films do you like to watch?" So there's this exchange of like, this is what this person does. Here's the movies that they like. Here's what they're excited right. for. You probably wouldn't walk away from that conversation and be like, that guy's a fake. He doesn't make movies, right. so he's not into film. Like <laughs> he's consuming the media. And so you take that as, yeah, that dude is into films. Again, I know apples and oranges, but like <laughs> video games are very much something that you watch we do have that added moment, that added layer, of course, of the the interaction, the engagement. But there are so many narrative-heavy games. Why is it bad if I don't have the time to play it myself, or maybe I don't have the money to go and watch a Let's Play? That makes me less of a gamer, right? So I'm into games. <laughs> I think that ties back to accessibility. But like, if we yeah. w- really want to get into semantics, I think a better comparison would be something like sports, because mm-hmm. you know, with filmmaking, it's a collaborative thing, and you're making a text to be consumed. But like with sports, that's a sure. participatory thing, mm-hmm. and 
again, it, this is all semantics, but sure, you couldn't call yourself a footballer if you didn't play football. You would say I'm a football right. fan or something like that. Mm-hmm. And so maybe there are people that are like, yeah, so you should call yourself a video games fan and not a gamer. But I never hear that. Right. I never I, hear y- that part yeah. of the conversation. Um, it's just like, oh, you're not a gamer. Exactly. But see, okay. <laughs> we we should probably have a whole episode yeah. or half an episode where we talk about like gamer and really break that down. There was definitely a phase in my life where I was like, yes, I finally felt recognized as someone who was really into video games. And so I felt like a gamer. And then I felt bad for calling myself a gamer because of all the shit that's attached to right. gaming. Over the the more recent years, I have developed further and I'm like, no, like I'm not going to let the shitty people take over this term. I am a gamer who is also a feminist. Mm -hmm. I am a gamer who cares about representation. I am a gamer who enjoys having fun. Like I don't have to be this very narrow, restrictive definition of a gamer. You know, I I think. For me, when I see someone say, you're only a real gamer F or you're not a real gamer, I'm like, that tells me that you're not a real gamer. (laughs) You know, if you're really passionate for this, this hobby and this pastime, you want this to be something that people can share. The the more people that are involved, Mm -hmm. the healthier the industry, the more people that are going to want to make games, the more people that are going to buy games, which means those those companies get more money and can make more games. It's the more opportunities for you. Right, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, you want more people. You don't want it. I think there's, again, there's sort of a protectiveness of like when, when someone becomes a gamer, and this is I would say for any aspect of your identity, but like we're talking about gamers, Mm -hmm. like when you feel like you become a gamer, you feel like you're part of this special group that like, wow, I thought I was kind of weird for liking this thing or being this way, but now I have community. I have these other people Mm -hmm. and we all have these kind of this shared lingo. And again, I think this applies to a bunch of different social groups, but gamers in particular, we have this shared lingo, these shared experiences. You know, if I play the 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 tune from opening a, a chest in legend of zelda we're all like hmm, i know what that sounds like we know what a rupee <laughs> is and all that kind of stuff um and then so that to think that oh it's not special anymore more people are going to know it um i i just don't you don't really lose anything by having that and maybe i'm speaking just from my own experience but well no but it, it's an incredibly selfish approach to take and it shows that some I'm doing Mm -hmm. the air quotes here. You can't see it. But some gamers are just obsessed with control, whether that's controlling who's allowed into the space, how people are allowed to interact in that space, and even trying to control developers by sending them death threats and, you know, bashing them when a product Mm -hmm. doesn't appear the way that they want it to. like. Yeah, there's some control issues. Oh, yeah, because that, I mean, that could be a whole episode by itself, too, is the the (laughs) discussion of video games as art. So if video games were truly art, which we as gamers are always quick to defend when video games are under attack. So if video games are being blamed for violence or video games are being talked about as being, you know, uh, passive and and killing you know kids brain cells and stuff like that and being a distraction being an addictive thing we're always like ah but games are art you know back back off like you know video games should be protected Mm -hmm. but we don't talk about them that way if video games were art mass effect 3 would not the ending to mass effect 3 would not have been attacked like it was because we would have been like ah (laughs) this is an art a piece of art and so it's making a statement and we're going to read it as such but we said no this is a product and i as a consumer of that product feel like I was owed something 
we don't do that same thing for other forms of media and other forms of no. art. So I feel like the discussion of video games as art is another thing that we we need to get into yeah. at some point. But we'll have to touch on that at some point yeah. for sure. But I'm sure this will come up again. This is something that we're both very oh, passionate yeah. about. But um, oh yeah. But I think we should probably probably call it a show. Uh, we probably. I feel should. this is a, this is a good first show. I feel really really good about this. Is, this. Hopefully this people um, are are digging it as well. Next week yeah. we're going to be talking about games that we're excited about. So yes. this is something that we've talked about personally, but yep. but I want to get into it. I really want to talk about mostly Resident mm-hmm. Evil Village. I don't care what you want to talk about. That's going to be. That <laughs> we're just. I'm just going <laughs> to twist anything that you say some some way to get back to resident evil village because okay I'm... i'd love to see you connect <laughs> far cry 6 to, well in far uh, cry resident 6 <laughs> there are there are very small people and you know which game has very big people <laughs> is resident evil village so oh my or at least one it's gonna be a blast very big person uh so that's what we're going to talk about next week uh thank you much for so much for listening our i want to mention yes. our theme song is by lovers.tiff you can find their mm-hmm. stuff at lovers. Uh, sorry, loverstiff.bandcamp.com. Um, mm-hmm. Check it out. Yeah, it's 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 really great. Uh, so thank you, lovers.tiff, for that. Um, if you want to contact us, we haven't gotten maybe a little bit something we should have taken care of, but we don't have like an official <laughs> email or anything like that. But you can check out my Twitter at Losperman uh, or do a search for Joey Crundwell. Send me a message if you want. Um, we'll we'll get a, an official email set up soon. <laughs> um, mm-hmm, for sure, for sure. It's on the list. <laughs> right. But until then, thank you so much for listening and we will talk to you next week. Yeah. Music. <laughs> <laughs>